This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Cheneo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky stepping up, fires down the sideline, Robinson makes the catch. From the Raiders to the Bears, Khalil Mack, now officially in Chicago. Brought down, Khalil Mack. Welcome to the Chicago Shuffle Podcast. I'm Zach, I'm here, it's Sunday, the Bears lost, all is right in the world. And to speaking of all is right in the world, I'm joined once again by my friend in depression, Ricky O'Donnell. What's up, Ricky? Man, what a fucking weird game that one was, bro. I said sometime in like the first quarter that this was the uh, the 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 plan in the in the during the week was okay. Everybody dose acid right before kickoff, and then we're going to be in a great place because one time a guy pitched a perfect game on uh, on acid and i think that's the kind of juice we need so yeah a communal uh, ayahuasca ceremony ready go oh my god man it's it's hard to know where to start um i guess we should start here the bears lost 26 23 in overtime in a game that felt like the bears were going to kind of run away with it early on just one of those you know drew Brees in the outdoors tons of wind bears grinding it out and actually being able to run the football a little bit and then just handing the lead over and not wanting it and then looking I mean they made Troy Aikman angry he was angry on the broadcast at the Bears uh, just this third quarter and everything that happened within it which we'll unpack little by little it just felt like uh, the Bears weren't a professional football team for a while there and then a furious comeback by the skin of their teeth in the fourth quarter leading to an overtime that felt like the Bears were just intensely overmatched I think you rated it as a three out of ten going into the OT and I said two out of ten for our hopes for us to actually win the game and it really felt like the only real hope was having some sort of fluke play a defensive uh, interception run back but the idea of stopping the Saints the Bears getting the ball back and then engaging a drive a sustained drive down the field to you know have a winning score felt sort of an impossible thing to hope for so Ricky, a lot of stuff happened in this game, and I, I think we'll try to go through through these things beat by beat, but if you were to just say, this is my one big takeaway from this game, and I'm putting you on the spot, what the hell is it? Yeah, I think my one big takeaway is that like this is the type of game the Bears had won exclusively throughout the season. They were able to 
pull out W's in games that they didn't necessarily deserve to win. And I think that what this game shows me, and, you know, it's a pretty obvious takeaway, but, like, you can't always live on the edge like that. Like, you're just going to lose these games as often as you're going to win them, pretty much, uh, even if you're a fortunate team. So, like, they were able to pull out wins. Exactly. Like, these games earlier in the season, they would have won, uh, just pulling them out of their ass, basically. And, you know, this game... Uh, the game was right there for the taking. I thought in the first half, like you said, it definitely looked like they were in control. I think some coaching mistakes absolutely uh, mm. helped the Saints stake their second half comeback. Mm. But when you're going to play a game this tight, I think that you know you're just going to lose some of these games, and then you know be, be to extend that thought. I think that it just shows you how tough life is with an offense that's this bad no matter how good your defense is like this, if the bears are scoring 23 points, it's like, dude, you can't really expect the defense to every single week shut down, especially an offense as talented as this one. So uh, it shows, you know, how limited this team's ceiling is in a lot of ways and how they kind of need everything to break right to get a win. And I think that that's why even when the bears were sitting at five and one, me and you weren't really feeling good about the team. I don't think a lot of Chicagoans were feeling good about the team, despite the gaudy record at that point in the season, uh, because they were just pulling wins out of thin air, and this was the type of game they would have won earlier in the year, and they took the L this time. Yeah, I think my one big takeaway would be wasted opportunity. And it's it's pretty aligned to what you said, but the Bears got a shitload of favors in this game. And to to waste it in the way that they did, I mean, it's very rare that the Bears, it, it feels like at the end of a half, that they should be up by more than they are. That's rare. It's usually the opposite, where the Bears feel like they should be down much more than they are. Like the the Rams game last week, where what was it? You know, ten to three at the half, but it felt like you know thirty to three. Um, just it's it's incredible. So they begin the game running all the stuff you and I bitch Mona complained about last week, which is here's all the stuff we've been showing you all year. And here are plays built off of that so that you think it's one thing and we're going to show you another. To see Allen Robinson breaking open, streaking down the field for a touchdown was like, I just couldn't believe it was happening. And then hitting a deep shot to Mooney when you faked a Cordero Patterson toss sweep. I, I was like, whatever they've talked about, whatever they've done, uh, I, I, I really loved the play calling early on. And then say what you will about bringing Mitch in for an RPO just for old time's sake. I saw him on the field and I was like cackling, laughing just because, you know, this is fun. This may, It may not all be working, but this is all fun for a second rather than, you know, seeing a ball go to uh, a guy we're going to be talking about a lot here soon. Javon Wims randomly or a Ryan Nall two yard flat shot or uh, a Jimmy Graham half run route and kind of sort of effort to try to kind of catch it. I got to talk about Jimmy Graham a little later on. I'm just having a hard time with uh, the way he plays uh, and and what it does for the Bears. But, um, yeah, wasted opportunity. Look, Drew Brees, it looked like his arm was being held on with tape. Did you see that? Were you looking at him during the game? Because I saw him kind of trying to stretch. And I know this because I'm in a terrible amount of body pain. I've got a bulging disc in my neck and been dealing with that for like six months now. And like Drew Brees looks like he can barely throw and he did make a couple of throws in this game, but how many short little screen passes, uh, dump offs for, to, for 15 yards when Camara slips four tackles, 
Like, how much of that do we have to see before it's like, yeah, why don't they give him the Trubisky treatment, which is this dude cannot throw deep, just break on every route. And it took the Bears three and a half quarters to seemingly figure that out. Absolutely. Like, Breeze won the Saints this game with, like, moxie and guile more so than raw arm talent obviously the dude i think he's in his 40s at this point he's had one of the best careers of this generation obviously of quarterbacks uh but he's not the player that he was during his prime i don't think the bears lost this game because drew Brees was on the other side i think they lost for i mean a ton of different reasons this was just a strange game but uh like you said a lot of missed opportunities the game was right there for the taking uh and in a close game the bears just couldn't win it so I, I, I kind of want to talk about two things. One, let's just get the injury report out of the way because it's huge. So going into the game, first of all, on the on the Saints side, they're missing their top three wide receivers uh, and their left tackle. So they're o- offensively super limited and clearly were hiding a breeze injury going into the game. And again, the, the wind was blowing 30 to 40 miles an hour at various times during the game. Like I think we had the conversation late in the pod last week where you're like, what's your confidence going into that game? And I needed to know if it was in Soldier Field or not because Drew Brees at home in a dome on the on the turf versus Drew Brees out in the cold at Soldier Field are two totally different quarterbacks. And so he kind of was who I thought he would be in this game. The Bears did not get the pressure on him that they needed to, um, and he was able to do what he had to do to win the game. But they had a ton of injuries coming in. The Bears, so Khalil Mack didn't practice all week had the the ankle injury which is clearly bad like he was uh, half of his himself out there today uh you had Cordero Patterson with a quad injury you've got um Cody Whitehair he's out and you've got uh James Daniels out for the year who am I missing anybody is that kind of more or less it coming into this game coming into the game before yeah, anything I, even happens I think that's it coming into okay. the game okay so let's just, I'm sure I've missed a couple but like effectively let's say that's it so right away Bobby Massey goes down with what looks like a serious injury, could not come back in the game, and that put uh, Jason Spriggs at right tackle, who subsequently goes down a handful of plays later that makes the Bears totally flip their line and put Rashawn Coward, Rashawn Coward, who now holds the uh, the belt for the Frank Omayal Award for the most hated offensive lineman in Chicago. It was Jamarcus Webbs, hasn't been used since, and now uh, Rashawn Coward is definitely the the belt carrier uh, of that award. Uh, they have, the Bears have to flip their line. Luckily, Spriggs can come back in. But either way, they're already down. One of the worst, if not the worst, offensive lines in the league is down three-fifths of its starters. And then you lose. Jimmy Graham gets a little nicked up, but he's able to play. And then you lose on the defensive side of the ball. John Jenkins goes down. Uh, Akeem Hicks gets hurt, but stays in the game. One of those, like, clearly not as effective, but you know, is is sort of still in the game for better or worse. Uh, let's see. Who am I missing? John Jamin. Spriggs. Massey. Oh, Roy Robertson Harris with a shoulder injury. He, le- he left for two quarters, tried to gut it out late. So the Bears are sort of like, this is just the injury game, and you could tell. Uh, it, happened, it started happening early, and it never really stopped. So uh, that's going to be a big issue going forward. Who's able to come back on the field and the, what the Bears are able to organize on an offense that's already – Totally bereft of organization and stability. Uh, it's it's a tall task for Negi and and Laser and on down the offensive coaching staff to kind of put something together here. Yeah, absolutely. And Oi, Aikman said during the game that the Bears had been like one of the healthier teams that him and Joe Buck have broadcasted about. Obviously, Terrifying. the injuries 
have there's been just a ton of injuries all season i think you know you can look at the pandemic and the lack of preseason uh lack of some training camp stuff this year as part of the reason uh but you know the injuries have really affected the bears on the offensive line and i think that you know that's part of the reason that the team has really struggled there was one play where spriggs i think cam jordan just did like a beautiful swim move and sacked Foles. it was a really critical sack at that point in the game uh but it's like you know who are you really going to blame for that? It's like, yes, yeah, Spriggs yeah. got beat by someone who's really good. He's like your third string tackle. So what are you going to do? I think that like that level of attrition is something that factors into every NFL season. You need a lot of good fortune, uh, you know, to to be, keep your guys healthy. And then, you know, there's probably like some coaching that goes into it too, just in terms of like preserving your best players. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, both teams were pretty compromised in this game. So I don't think like injuries really swung the result. It was really just a game that like someone had to win. Someone had to like grind out the win. And the Bears had a lot of opportunities to win this game. I mean, if you want to talk about uh, how they blew it, I'm thinking back to, I mean, there was a bunch of plays, but how about like Anthony Miller dropping that eight, what looked to be an eight yard reception on the Bears first overtime Mm-hmm. uh possession and then the next play Graham drops one uh so you know and you know offensive line made a lot of mistakes too uh this game was there for the taking and I think like that is sort of what we were talking about like this is such a bizarre game I don't think that we learned anything new about the Bears that we didn't know going into the game uh the Bears just couldn't get the dub this time yeah I look it- this is who they are, which is a really a really good defense and an inept offense and no run game. So no matter how good the lead is for the Bears, if they ever get out to one, which how could they when the offense can't score with any sort of consistency? Normally, if you have a great defense, then you've got a good run game so that you can salt away victories. And I don't, you know, the Bears aren't able to stay on the field offensively. So there's always going to be a chance for another team to get into it. And then this kind of soft shell defense. I mean, have you ever seen a team go into the prevent and give up the touchdown anyways? Cause that happened today. Yeah. I feel like we've seen that all the time in the NFL where you get beat with the soft shell defense, but absolutely. That was driving me insane. Well, okay. It. It's like the bears, like as discussed already, breeze can't throw down the field. And so to defensively take your guys off and play soft and give underneath coverage, it's like, cool. That's all I can do. That's literally all I can do. Thanks so much. I'm just going to th- throw those passes. And, uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll just kind of see where that goes. And then, you know, really bad defense. I mean, say what you will about Nagy. I don't know what it is with the timeouts with him. I don't know. It's like a, a child given three quarters and just told, like, you got to, like, make these last. And he just spends it on, you know, three rolls on, a, like, a, like, a bouncy ball, you know, vending machine, like, right away. It's like, dude – I understand that you've got them to third down and there's a minute left and, oh, you could, might be able to make them punt. And then your offense is back on the field. I know you're feeling your steez right now because you've been calling a couple good plays, but maybe just maybe don't give the Saints a fourth timeout as they're trying to matriculate down the field and get a field goal. You're up uh, at that point. You're up 13 to three. It could have been 17 to three if they had been able to score a touchdown just before, but they get bogged down in the red zone. So that happens. They, they score a field goal. Fine. No, they scored a touchdown on that. That changed the game. They they were up thirteen to three. They scored a touchdown right. on a sixteen well, yard pass to Jared Cook, and then it's the Bears could have been up seventeen to three because like they were in the red zone before, and just their their drive petered out in right. the red zone. So they go up thirteen to three. Fine, fine. 
They kick off. It's just about getting to the half. They go super soft, super, super soft shell. And then on third down, Nagy's like, well, shit, we might be able to get the ball back. I'm feeling myself. I'll call my timeout. Yeah. He gives them an extra timeout. They immediately convert. They start going down the field. And sure enough, we play so soft that they give up a, a touchdown right before the half. And the momentum of the game and the, the outlook is completely changed. It's 13-10 to 10 going into the half. And the Bears have somehow managed to squander a very fortunate and at, at times really good offensive first half. Totally. I think that that was the changing point in the game that timeout. And we've been bagging on Nagy. Uh, all season long but there I think you just got to know your personnel in a sense like so what what Nagy was thinking is the Bears are going to march down the field and you know get some more points before the end of the half you're already getting the ball first out of halftime this just isn't the type of team that's going to score in a short clock situation I mean honestly they have done it a couple times uh, late in games but I think that that was just classic like not knowing your team and getting a little greedy and then Drew Brees is able to beat you for a touchdown there. That totally changes the complexion of the game. And I then, would argue, excuse me, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, you, you continue. I was going to say the third quarter was just like, that's when the game really started to go off the rails. Oh, yeah, we went, we went to crazy town. We Everybody was drunk. Um, I was just going to say that it struck me as reactionary. Because if you remember last week, the Bears just downed the ball and went to the half. And everybody in Chicago is like, bah, you have no faith in your offense. You don't use your timeouts. This is a critical time you could have used. And so Nagy, you know, I, I feel like hearing that in his ear is like, oh, I'm going to call my timeouts now. Watch, like, since we're going so well, watch what I do. I believe in this team. It just struck me as, like, reactionary and not the BU thing that's always written on his, his card. So anyways, you go into the half and you've totally given away the momentum and given away the advantage that you've got. And then the third down, the third quarter, bro. Like, where where do we start to kind of talk about how the Bears broke down as a football team? It, you couldn't even point to one unit or a handful of plays. It was sort of just across the board. They ceased to be professionals. Yeah, so the Saints, they had the big punt return, right, on the first possession of the second half the saints end up getting a field goal to tie the game there but their drive was four plays and seven yards so i think that that's when yeah the saints had like a 40 they had a big punt return right off uh patrick O'Donnell yeah the, the bears got the ball out of the half they had five plays for zero yards and and give up the ball they they were driving got a first down uh and then that's the one where there's a a false like a <laughs> Where Foles gets sacked for nine yards. Is that the one with the the delay of game? No, that's the next drive. That's the next drive. Continue. Continue. So, yeah, well, well, then the next drive is you have the Javon Wims play yo. that is going to be shown on highlight reels for the rest of today and probably the rest of the week. Let's just talk about that. Like, like what the hell, man? All right, dude. Give me a scenario where you're punching a man in the head wearing a helmet. Why, first why all, are you trying to do that? First of all, it was so much more like Florida Street than that. He ripped off his chain and then punched him in the helmet. So his first move, if you look at it, is him grabbing the the gold chain that dude's wearing, ripping that off, and then punching him in the head. Twice. And then, at, right, after the first one seemingly had no effect, he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rear back and do it again. I, 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 It's like he went crazy for a second. And I don't know what happened. There's a a replay on Fox of Gardner Johnson kind of like poking into Anthony Miller's face mask towards his eye, which don't do that. That's not good, but it didn't even that, which is a, you know, dirty pool and I don't recommend it. I, I still, it still doesn't seem to 
makes sense for why Wims would then on the next play be so angry that post play with cameras rolling and no like nothing hidden about any of it literally just walk up to this dude and cold cock him it was the weirdest thing i've ever seen yeah i think that gardner johnson is probably just a huge jerk and there were some things going on that me and you couldn't see because if you remember coming into this game you know this was supposed to be the big return of michael thomas arguably the best wide receiver in the nfl he gets suspended for this game because he got into a fight with gardner johnson in practice uh gardner johnson is the guy who like you said tried to like eye gouge anthony miller who knows what else happened with him because there was another play late in the game where like gardner johnson made a nice play i think he deflected a pass or got a tackle and he immediately popped up and was woofing shit yeah i'm sure he was talking mad shit i'm sure yeah, but, like, you have to be more disciplined than that if you're yeah. in Wims's position. And, like, dude, that is just never a good idea, what he did. Like, no one is ever going to look at that video and take his side in that altercation. And especially when you're in a position like Javon Wims, where you're, like, the fourth wide receiver on the team, you're barely getting on the field. I think we might actually see Riley Ridley finally active so, for the Bears next week because yeah. uh, Wims – I don't even know how you could really bring him back after that. I'm not saying you got to cut the guy, uh, but like, dude, that is like such an undisciplined, unfocused move. And he's going to be getting like, that's not the defining moment of his NFL career. And he's going to be getting hammered on that for the rest of the week. Not only that, I was looking at Nagy's press conference quotes and he's like, I think his, the word that he used was that he's disturbed by it. Um, That he's like, that's, he's like, that's something I'm going to be, He's like, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm so bothered by it. It's disturbing. Uh, you can never have anything like that. And uh, he, he knows and he's already apologized to the team, but we'll be sitting down and talking with him. So that strikes me as like, Javon Wims, you're likely dropping down the depth chart, uh, you know, at least for a day or a game, if not a little bit longer. Riley Ridley, maybe, you know, uh, will get you out of the witness protection program that you're in. It's just it still strikes me as so bizarre. So after the punch and everybody's separated and, and, you know, and again, dudes get hurt in scrums like that all the time. Like who knows who on the bears could have gotten rolled up on. There's just no good that can ever, ever come from it. I get the chippiness. I get this dude might be doing bullshit. Dude, tell the refs and go back. Cause like you were ready to fight. Like it was the streets. And meanwhile, you're in the middle of a football game. You're trying to win. Uh, and it was a critical penalty. They went from second and five to second and 20. It, it killed the drive. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And what happened on the next play, Zach? 
Do you remember? It was a Nick Foles interception. Yes, yes, I remember. I remember. Nick Foles, after a good first quarter, turned into horrible Nick Foles. Uh, just throwing sidearm things up for grabs. And look, he got tired of getting hit in the mouth. Uh, I think it was nine pressures. He got hit all day long to the point that sometime around the third quarter, he just was. He went for the Rex Grossman uh, quarterbacking style, which is the 47-step drop back that never ends. And then chucking it off your back foot or sidearm over the top, whatever. Uh, it just, there was really no shot. And then, of course, Nagy's calling plays that require him to hang in the pocket a little bit longer. And pretty much every one of those was a sack. So I'd, I'd be angrier at Nick Foles' ineptitude, but the offensive line is so bad and these plays don't really have a chance to develop. I, it So, you know, when play calling works, that's great. But then something else breaks down. When the O-line works, that's fine, but they call the wrong play. When they've got it all set up, you know, uh, Foles throws an inaccurate pass behind Jimmy Graham. Like, those sorts of things uh, happen. And by the way, occasionally the wide receivers decide to drop critical passes. We had the Anthony Miller bingo card drop, uh, and then one from Jimmy Graham right after that. Jimmy Graham, by the way, seven targets, two receptions, sucked today. Can't do anything if he's not in the red zone. Not and just, yet, Nagy keeps taking them out when they're in the red zone. Only put them in when they're in the red zone, as far as I'm concerned. It's like the anti-Patterson. Like, he just, he does not like to, and they things that worked so well early in the season, too. It's like, well, all right, we've we played that card. We can't play it anymore. But either way, you know, Troy Aikman pointed it out, and I've seen it from some, like, uh, Warren Sharp video cut-ups and things like that. The Jimmy Graham runs, like, lackadaisical routes. Uh, he doesn't come back to the football he doesn't fight, you know, to body up unless it's in like uh, the red zone. It's really not a great target. Like yeah, I but, don't know. Go ahead. Well, they also sorry to interrupt you. They also had that yeah. third down play. I think in the second quarter, uh, where they're in the red zone and Fultz ends up throwing like a really short pass to Montgomery, which was a terrible pass, incomplete. They kick a field goal, but they had one-on-one coverage on Graham. And it's like, dude, that's why you signed Graham. Like throw it up to him in those situations. He's been very good in the red zone. Uh, He is giving you nothing outside of the red zone. And to circle back on Fultz for a second, to me, this was the classic Nick Foles experience where Foles did make some really good throws. I mean, like you alluded to earlier on the one drive in the first half, he hit Mooney on the deep pass. I actually think he underthrew Mooney a bit on that. The throw was about a B plus throw though, because he was still able to complete it, but a perfect throw. He probably scores. Anyways, it doesn't matter because he makes a very good throw to Allen Robinson. Robinson elite catch on that to dive, you know, dive gets the reception touchdown. Uh, Then Foles just has a couple terrible throws Mm. in the second half where it looks Mm. like he's going to cost him the game. Then he comes back on the last drive and, you know, arguably the biggest play of the game to set up the field goal, at least in regulation, Foles hits Miller on like a maybe 12 yard. I don't know what the exact yardage was, but it was like a 12 yard out route or a 15 yard out route after the bears. I think had taken a penalty on the play before that sets up Santos 51 yard field goal uh, to go into overtime. When I watch that throw, I'm like, well, that's why Foles mm-hmm. is the quarterback and not Trubisky, because there is no way Trubisky would have been able to make that throw. Of course, then we're in overtime. There's a situation where it's like a where broken play. Foles could run. <laughs> that we just can't Mitch win. Mitch would have picked that up. Uh, so, like, that's a play that Mitch could make that Foles couldn't. Uh, but the Bears wouldn't even have been in that position, I don't think, because I very much doubt Mitch could have made the throw that Foles made to Miller. He dots his feet uh, before going out of bounds 
times. I yeah, mean, it was the third it, and 18 throw. Dude, yeah. and they had yeah. no timeouts. So, yeah. like, they had to have that throw on the money, and Foles put it there. Well, look, uh, I think I think Foles, you know, the things he does well, uh, one is, like, generally organizing an offense when given the opportunity. But I think the other is that he's got a short memory, and even if he throws two absolute garbage balls uh, for picks, which he did in this game, he'll come right back out there and give you a clean drive the next time down. So, where with Mitch, it compounded, you know, and I think you and I have seen enough Mitch games. I think it's absolutely hilarious on Twitter uh, to see people pining for Mitch. It is the curse of Bearsdom to continually pray for the quarterback that isn't playing in the, the football game as though somehow he's going to be better. The offensive line is terrible, and now it's mega injured, and so it is a mash unit that uh, wasn't really good at warfare in the first place. Uh Mitch is not going to make that any better, man. Maybe he could scramble a little bit more, but, you know, he, he's one hit from Demario Davis away from never scrambling again. I think I was watching some Mitch cutups a little while ago, and I understand that I'm off on a tangent as per usual, but just his ability to run, it's the Bears never, like after 2018, just never used it anymore. It's like, that's kind of like 78% of his good plays were running. That was every third down conversion he had in 2018 when yeah. things were going pretty well, and that's how they would string drives together. So sort of inexplicable that they didn't just run him out there and have designed runs, uh, just use that a lot more than they did because that dude is fast. He's like legitimately fleet of foot. Nick Foles is not. He's trying to sit back in the pocket. There is no pocket. Um, and I didn't. I wasn't particularly impressed with the New Orleans pass rush, but then you look at the pressure statistics – and realize that, yeah, I know a lot of those plays didn't work because Foles had a guy in his face uh, pretty much the every play of the second half. So let's just wrap up really quick, Javon Wims. My my guess would be a one-game team suspension and sort of like being legislated out of the offense a little bit during that time, let, giving an opportunity for other guys to step up. Would you say that's enough or should be more serious? Or what do you see going on? Yeah, I think that's enough. And at the end of the day, like, uh, Wims's position on the team was like very precarious, right? Like mm-hmm. he was like just barely in the rotation of. Receivers. Do you think they cut him? I don't. I don't know if they cut him. And to me, like, it probably doesn't really matter what they do. I don't think it's going to affect the Bears moving forward one way or another. Whether they cut him, whether they just put him back out on the field next week, or whether they. Uh, sort of like keep him inactive and try to like self-discipline him like he's just sort of a fringe guy on the team but I think that that play is just going to get shown all week and it just made the Bears look stupid it made Nagy look stupid it's Uh, bad it's bad it's it's, go ahead dude there were so many more dumb plays after that one I mean that's the one everyone's going to talk about but we also allowed Taysom Hill to get like a 20 yard touchdown reception after that, I believe. So there's uh, the defense. And the then there's that play uh, is just insane. I guess that's why I can't be mad that the Bears lost this game because they got favored so many different ways and times. I'm sorry. Like, I understand, you know, stopping someone's momentum and saying that, you know, forward progress. But if that happened to the Bears and they gave the other team the football back, I would be irate. I, I thought the game was over and rightly so. Um, again, the rule makes a lot of sense that the call happened is super fortunate, but I was like, this game is a wrap right when it happens. And of course it took the bears until late in the fourth quarter to get one look for Cole Komet and everybody's begging for it and pining for it. And the bears say they're going to do it. They get him one throw and he puts the ball on the turf. So we'll probably never see Cole Komet catch another pass in the rest of his bears career, given how things are going, but there's the, okay. So Nagy 
here's the defense for him. It's his record, his ability to motivate this team through hard times, keep the locker room together. Um, and initially it had been his offensive prowess, but I think we can tick that one off the list of things we believe in at this point. If the team is going to become undisciplined, if Javon Wims incidents, if guys yapping on the sidelines, um, upset players starting to be demonstrative and doing so, which I saw from Jimmy Graham and Allen Robinson in this game, you're starting to chip away at the naggy defense of, well, everybody keeps pulling in the same direction. And last year things got so tough, but they stuck together and went eight and eight. So now you have this five and one team that's all of a sudden five and three, and you see a little bit of fraying around the edges. Then Javon Wims hauls off and rips a chain off and goes for a street fight. And then after being called away, is sitting there flexing and yelling across the line of scrimmage as though, A, he's still going to be in the game, and B, that he's in the right. And then he gets taken to the sidelines, and he's still yapping. Like, I'm, I I haven't seen a Bears player lose their cool like that in a long time. I would say the last time in the NFL I've seen a guy lose his cool like that was maybe – what was that dude's name? The blonde headed offensive lineman with a lot of personality that was on like the saints, Kyle Turley, Kyle Turley once in, an, in a Monday night football game, he ripped off a player's helmet, ran down the field and then threw the, the helmet across the field. And I was like, Holy shit, this is a madman. And what happened was Aaron Brooks, his quarterback had been running the football and the safety. How do I remember all this dumb? Like, I can't remember my own name, but I can remember these <laughs> plays. Uh, their safety, Abraham, grabbed Aaron Brooks's face mask and started pulling his head backwards. Like, I'm like, it looked like he was genuinely going to like permanently injure him. Turley saw it, went and grabbed Abraham's helmet, ripped it off the dude's head, and then threw it down the field. And so you're like, all right, you know, I, I cannot condone that. It looks terrible. We're going to get penalized for it. But you protected your quarterback, and what he was doing was totally not okay. I don't blame you. In this instance, there's like not even a defensible action that even comes anywhere near anything that you could be like, well, this was happening and I was defending my dude. It was a super selfish action. And so if Nagy is going to have players that a don't know where to line up, uh, don't know what the play calls are having to look at your wristband in order to, you know, try to get the play, having to call bad timeouts, can't run the plays, can't get them blocked up, can't make catches down the field and then uh, make selfish plays that hurt the team, man, Really, all that's left is Nagy's uh, win-loss record at this point. And depending upon how the rest of this year goes, like that narrative is is up for argument, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, the most frustrating thing about this is it just feels like they just have not made any progress offensively with someone who is supposed to be the quarterback whisperer, the offensive guru. And yeah. the ceiling and the floor for this offense is still really really low like this was probably one of the better games that montgomery played i thought montgomery made a couple of runs where it's like well he's gonna have nothing here and he like breaks one off and gains some positive yards so i actually thought montgomery played a pretty decent game especially when you factor in all the turnover on the offensive line uh, i thought Foles ran a little hot and cold to me a classic nick Foles game this is why he's not uh you know considered I think like a starter coming into the year in terms of his league wide perception, but why uh, you still know he can win you a game if he like, you know, finds a rhythm and comes in. This is why you have him as the quarterback. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that went wrong for the bears in this game, but I think at the end of the day, like this offense is just one of the worst offenses in the league. We're supposed to have an offensive head coach and the fact that the offense has not shown any signs of improvement during his three years as head coach is the thing that might be the most damning about him. 
it's certainly dispiriting. I definitely spent a good pit, a good bit of the of the game dispirited, just wondering like what is there to hope for. And it's like if you look at the the team stats, it's kind of the same old story. Five for fifteen on third down. That's just like an unacceptable uh, amount of conversion on third down. And then three hundred and twenty nine total yards. Like the Bears, you know, occasionally eclipse three hundred yards. Meanwhile, other teams are around four hundred as an average every single game. So. And I think they flashed a number of statistics on the screen where it was the Bears are 32nd in this or 31st in that or 27th in that. Any offensive statistic, any offensive measure, you're just like, wow, okay, this isn't just as Bears fans being angsty and angry um, and looking for like negative outcomes. It really is a bad offense. And meanwhile, you know, like the Chargers lost again today. They blew a huge lead and being a Chargers fan seems really difficult, but it just fe feels like they can find 12 yards as easily as they want. It's it's a passing league with all the rules geared towards offensive players and offensive play callers being able to do what they want to do, where I, honestly, if I'm a play caller, every every hike is a hard count. And if a defensive player cuts a fart, I have my offensive lineman stand up five free yards. And then I'm chucking the ball down the field for, uh, for, you know, DPIs and everything else all the time. Meanwhile, the bears, you know, I think there was a couple different third and ones or third and threes where I'm like, I just, the amount of hope I had for us to be able to convert was so low. Um, and then there was a couple of them, one that worked, it was like third and eight, and Nagy ran it, and somehow... Oh my god, David, that was early in the game. Da yeah, David Montgomery broke like nine tackles, and it was able to get a first down magically. And then there was another one late in the game where it's like, yeah, it was like third and three. Hey, we got our one yard. Like, it, It's just really hard to keep track of all the leaks in the boat. And when things go well, I mean, it, it the drive early on to score the touchdown, you know, you get the long play to Mooney, and then you get the Allen Robinson touchdown... And it felt so great, and it was such a surprise because I think both of us going into this game were like, I do not feel good about this. And then the next, very next drive is a three and out and a really ugly one. So it's not just about, oh, the outcome sucks and they threw a pick here and how about this bad play and how about that bad play and kind of cherry picking them. It's the just the general sense of when, one, when something goes good that that's going to be really short-lived and followed up by a whole lot of bad. And I'm sorry, we've got kind of three years of experience in that to say that's the, what the Bears offense is. It's little, little glimmers of good hoping that it can be more. And I used to think that that was just Mitch, but I think that's just a Nagy offense. You disagree with that? No, I think that's dead on. But what's funny is like it is – shockingly resilient in ways that previous Bears teams haven't been. Like, I think in a lot of ways, this is a classic Bears team where the defense is playing at a championship level. The offense is absolutely atrocious. The head coaching is very questionable. The quarterback play is bottom 10 in the league. Okay, that's been every Bears team of mine and yours lifetime. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a point in this game where with, I think, 10 minutes left, Taysom Hill gets in the end zone. Now, the Bears in a game they were in control and in the first half, suddenly they're down 10 with 10 minutes left. Game should be over, right? Over. Uh, yeah, no, like, oh, they go on an 11 play, 75 yard drive. It benefited from a pass interference call in the red zone on Graham. Uh, that's actually like a positive Graham contribution, right? That's like part of having him on the team. A, it was a true uh, DPI too. Like yeah. he, that was a deserved flag, I thought. For sure. And like that drive would have ended in a field goal. It still would have been a pretty good drive. Instead, they end up getting the touchdown. And actually that was a really nice 
nice play call, I thought, by Nagy on the touchdown is he runs a little rub route from Mooney mm-hmm. to the corner where, like, Allen Robinson's kind of picking the DB, but he's not really picking him, so it's not a penalty. It's like a totally a nice legal play. play, very nice short yardage play. And that was, af- that was on a third down play, I believe, after they ran it twice. I believe this is when uh, Foles' yep. headset went out, right, on the – so there was there was a lot going on there. I was losing my mind watching that when they ran oh it again god. on oh second down. I'm like, oh my god, Jesus Christ, dude! But then you know they get in the end zone, so there is a little bit of resilience, right? They hold the Saints to three and out on the next play in that or on the next drive, and then you have the final drive of regulation where they need to get the field goal. It starts off with the really bizarre commit play, and you know just to sort of like put a bow on that. I actually think that was the right call. I might be biased on that, and I agree. Like if it happened to the Bears sure. on the other side, I'd it's, be losing my shit. It's a fifty-fifty play. I get it. Yeah, I think that was the right call though. Uh, sure. And then after that, like Foles just starts like hitting some solid passes. I think. Uh, Robinson had a big catch, I think, on that final drive. And, uh, of course, Miller had, like we talked about earlier, like that little 15-yard out route that set up the 51-yard field goal. We got to talk about... That was Foles' best throw of the day, yeah. Yeah, totally. And then we got to talk about Santos, too. We do. Because I, I realize we're sort of all over the map here, but if I'm talking about, like positive takeaways from this game i Let's think do I'm, that i think i'm starting with the kicker santos has balls of steel bro to hit that kick twice in the wind i think the wind was working in his favor uh on the way they were like driving down the field during that time in the game but mm-hmm. still i mean it's like windy blustery conditions if you've been outside in the midwest this weekend the wind is like absolutely insane i was hanging out in iowa all weekend and the wind was like kind of freaking me out at a certain point because it was so strong today in chicago i'm um, driving back and the wind is like blowing my car on the side uh, on the highway so the wind has just been really bad in the midwest uh, for the sure. last couple days sure. and for santos to hit two 51-yard kicks after they freeze him on the first one. I'm like, there's a 0% chance he's going to make this one again. Uh, the dude is totally legit, and I'm sorry, Eddie Pinheiro, but you're not getting your job back. Santos, he's going to miss him. He's not going to be perfect the rest of the year. But that dude proved to me with that 51-yarder, like, he's legit. I think even before this week, I, I was pretty sold on him being the Bears' uh, kicker now and going forward. He, he was a really, really good kicker for Kansas City before he got injured. Nagy was there at the time and then had a groin injury and is finally fully healthy. And my perspective on kickers, save for like the rare few that seem to be just good forever, which are um, Tucker, who is just like seems like the all time kicker. I mean, he's just unassailable, 60 yard perfect down the middle kicks every single time for Baltimore. Or, for instance, like a Robbie Gold, who's excellent, you know, pretty much year in, year out, save for a couple blips. Generally, for kickers in the NFL, it feels like, is this guy in a good spot this year or not? Because, like, right now, Cody Parkey is kicking for the Browns, is it? Yeah, he's somewhere. Browns or Bengals? The Browns. I want, mm, an orange team. An orange team. An orange team in the AFC. Good for us. But either way, like, he doesn't look the way he did with the Bears with a really soft kind of fading ball. He's hitting the ball straight. He's hitting it well, and he seems like he's in a pretty good place. And similarly, like Cairo Santos, first of all, healthy. Second, just kicking with a lot of confidence. So you're absolutely right. Like, he he is the guy. Like, he's the guy going forward. And certainly a positive development for a Bears team that needs points any way that they can get it. So there's that. Uh, I would say the Bears linebacking crew had their game of the year. Totally. I was going to bring this up. Yeah, Trevathan uh, and Huge tackle on that third down play was 
one of the biggest plays of the game. Trevathan hunted mm-hmm. down. I forget who it was, but I think that set up the Bears, uh, you know, game tying drive. Great tackle it by Trevathan. They got off the field so quick. And Roquan was all over the field today. I think, like, when the Bears drafted Roquan, like, sort of the idea behind him was that he was this great sideline-to-sideline linebacker who would, like, take away a lot of plays that you never even see develop because he had such great coverage instincts. And I think we kind of saw that today. He was everywhere. Uh, Also a pretty sure tackler. I think that the tackling from the defense in general was actually pretty impressive unless Elvin Kamara had the ball. And, I mean, we got to talk about Kamara a little bit later, too, because, dude, that guy is truly, like, one of the most exceptional playmakers in the NFL. This is not breaking news, what I'm saying here. I think everyone realizes Alvin Kamara is a superstar. But to see him cut up the Bears' defense on a couple of those runs, man, he just has that extra gear that, uh, you know, very few players have. I thought outside of Kamara busting out a few of those big ones, for Mm -hmm. Bears' defense where their two best players were – sort of in a diminished state. I thought uh, they, they played pretty decently, and I was impressed with the tackling in general. Trevathan, huge tackle. Roquan, really solid, especially in the second half in overtime. Uh, so those are, like, some positive takeaways from this game, I think. It was sort of the opposite of what the Bears' offense does, which is, like, you know, glimmers of shit with huge swaths of awesome, right? So you have everything's going really, really well, and then you have that terrible defensive drive at the end of the half to give up the touchdown, you have um, the 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 throw to uh, Taysom Hill where it's like he's basically uncovered, uh, and I think that's the end of the half. And then the one to Jared Cook where I don't know if Jalen Johnson's passing him off. I don't know if he slipped in coverage, but it's just like more or less uncovered all of a sudden, very like almost strangely so. But in terms of stats, like Roquan Smith with 11 tackles, Danny with nine, both leading the team in that regard, two tackles for loss for Roquan and a pass defense. He was awesome, and he. I think the big bugaboo with him this year has been missed tackles. Like you said, uh, that wasn't an issue today. I thought they were really, really solid, and I was terrified of Alvin Kamara not just like carving the Bears up, but being like in a position to be stopped for a seven-yard loss and slipping nine and a half tackles to go seventy to the house. Because totally. the way the Bears were with you know their coverage on the perimeter, with their run fits, I was like, this dude is going to get the ball on dump offs all day. And just make everything look awful. So despite the fact that he, I think he had 175-ish all-purpose yards, I didn't feel like the Bears did a very bad job with him. It was like the one threat that the Saints had. And and given, given that I think the Bears had second and 20 uh, at the end of the first half after Nagy calls that timeout, which is why he did. They're behind the sticks. There's 56 seconds left, uh, second and 20. He's thinking, all right, we're going to be able to get that stop and get the ball back. I think that's a defensible enough position, but for the defense to give up that first down with when Drew Brees can barely throw the ball, tough, really, really tough. And so that's the thing. It's like the the Bears defense isn't in a position to have these little slip ups because the margin for error is so small. So, yeah, yeah, uh, you've got the end of the first half. You have, you know, a really bad third quarter drive that allows, you know, the Saints to push and get a 10 point lead. Uh, and then the, a very desperate Bears offense, which, dude, that last drive, the touchdown drive with two fourth down conversions was a Wiley Coyote tiptoeing on the edge of a cliff on roller skates with an Acme rocket pack. Like, did they score a touchdown? Absolutely. Was it a miracle? Absolutely. <laughs> there were so many plays during that drive where I was like, well, that's going to be it for this drive. How yeah. are they going to convert here? So did they come back and tie the game late? Yes. But let's not lose the the reality, which was – 
so many good things happen to allow for that to happen. Uh, it's not the sort of thing you can hang your hat on of, you know what, if we just keep chopping wood, this is going to turn for us. And this is just one of those games where it didn't happen. Totally. All right. couple takes I got here. First of all, how about Bilal Nichols? I felt like he was everywhere in this game. I thought he played really well. Uh, he had one, what I thought was like a truly incredible play in overtime where the Saints threw a wide receiver screen and he uh, got out and like, yeah. it was the example of like when in Madden, when you're the defensive player and you're just like totally burned, you just hit the dive button and you're like, well, hopefully the game gives me like the Superman dive where I can totally. somehow bring down this guy from behind. And Blau Nichols actually like pulled that off in real life. So Nichols, uh, he looks pretty good. <laughs> I think oh, in he, general. he's a find and he's just yet another late, you know, uh, late round pick by pace that the bears, you know, seemingly can't stop doing He's a fifth round pick out of Delaware. He popped right away. He's gone through some little bit of nicked up knee injury stuff, but he is now a, a, a central cog on what the bears do on defense. And we already talked about Kamara, but I still want to ask this question. Uh, how effective would Alvin Kamara be? with this Bears offensive line. Because Kamara's season-long stats really aren't that good. I'm looking at him right now, and I think he had like 364 yards rushing coming into the game. Obviously, he's a bigger threat out of the passing game. He had 460 Mm -hmm. yards uh, receiving. So, I mean, the dude's a superstar, no doubt. Uh, I'm just curious, like, you know, if you were to give the Bears Alvin Kamara, one of the truly elite playmakers in the NFL, in my opinion, how do you think he would be with this Bears O-line? I would say that he's the number one hybrid player in the National Football League with Christian McCaffrey being right there with him. We haven't seen McCaffrey very much this year just because he's been injured. But those are the two guys that I'm like, they can catch 100 balls and, you know, have 20 carries a game and just sort of like be the identity of an offense in the way that you can craft every single thing around them. I think he'd be uh, shit on this team. I, I think he'd still be able to pop a play here or there, but. They have a wonderful offensive line that's a little bit nicked up right now, but they get pushed all the time. They have really good play design. Sean Payton, one of the best play callers in the NFL, knows how to put a guy into space, knows how to give him an opportunity to succeed, which we can't always count on from Nagy. And overall, man, like, I, so let's just talk about David Montgomery for a second, right? Because I think that's the conversation we're sort of having without having it. He's really good. Like he's Oh a really wow. Good... I did not think that's where you were going with this. Okay, I like this. Yeah, like I see him fighting for yards and I see a guy that finds 3 when there was 1. Um I do have a the only you know chink in the armor if 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 I were to kind of vocalize anything is that like there are times when what 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 we really need is a guy who can like hit contact and continue to push the pile forward, and he'll like stop and juke and find you know th- that Jordan Howard get hit and keep rolling for three yards thing that like bigger bodied thing is something the Bears could really really use, but that sort of it makes it seem like boy if only we had that then things would be in a better place. I don't believe that at all. I just feel like David Montgomery on a team with a pot like a really good or even adequate run blocking offensive line is a thousand yard rusher for sure. And we saw it today. Like once he saw daylight a little bit, again, he doesn't have that top end speed, that breakaway speed that really changes the game. But um, I think there's, that's a quality running back and whether or not he should be, you know, the sole focal point uh, of a, of a team's running attack is, is up for 
you know, um, argument. I think the Bears would be good to have a change of pace, such as a, you know, for instance, a Mike Davis or something like that. Yeah. But either way, they don't have any consistency on offense. They can't string together drives. They can't continue to convert third downs. And those are the sort of things you need is to get an offensive team in rhythm and keep feeding a guy the ball. It's more like four play drives, six play drives, seven play drives, and then back off the field. So, you know, I think he's doomed to a life of one and two yard gains that were supposed to be three and four yard losses. And how do you adequately, you know, uh, evaluate the the quality of that player and the quality of that draft selection when you don't have an offensive line to gauge it against? It's almost like it was with Trubisky in the John Fox years. It's like we think he's good, but until we put weapons around him and give him the support he needs, then there's no way to know for sure. And I think I feel that way about David Montgomery. Uh, I feel like Montgomery is so mid. Dude, it's like when you, uh, when I don't know, I don't. I'm gonna stop myself before I say this comparison. But I just think Montgomery. No, really, I want it. No, I want the comparison. I was gonna say like when you get like sort of below <laughs> average weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think he's mid. You know, like he's not like you said. He doesn't have breakaway speed to like the really mids. beat the defense on the game, like on the big play. And then, as you also said, he's not really a power back where he's going to break tackles. Now, I thought absolutely this was his best game of the season. It was his high rushing total for the season with 89 yards. And as a receiver out of the backfield, he's only broken 40 yards once the entire season. So, for receiving. So, I just think like he's just not very special. Uh, what they needed was like Kamara uh, is basically like the idealized version of 2018 Tariq Cohen. And I think like part of the reason the Bears gave Cohen the extension this year, which I thought was a bad decision even before the injury. I really he got did a not lot know, of paper. Yeah, I did not know why they did that because to me, Cohen seems eminently replaceable. Uh, Montgomery to me is like he's fine. You could probably do worse i'm sure you can but you could also do a lot better i think what you said about like the context that needs to go into that evaluation though it's dead on obviously the offensive line is very bad and like the bear sort of built the offensive line to be a better pass blocking offensive line than a run blocking offensive line right so like Oops. that's somewhat by design uh and then also you know i'm sure it'd be a lot easier for david montgomery too if the opposing team had to worry about the quarterback making big plays down the field which often doesn't happen the wait is finally over. Football is back. I mean, it's been back for a while, but now it's extra back. You might not be at a game this year, although you might. They just keep rolling them in there every week. There seems to be 2,000 more people sneaking in. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Sorry, tangent. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. You can be like me, where you bet a four-team teaser and feel awesome about it and win the first three games, and then unknowingly, Aaron Rodgers shits the bed against the Buccaneers, and your teaser dies again, and you live to play another day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. I'm going to shift right. the conversation real quick to another positive. Uh, Alan Robinson. 
I feel like Allen Robinson is, just give me a agree or disagree on this take. Allen Robinson is the only player on the Bears offense who is better than an average NFL starter at that position. Agree or disagree? Uh, disagree. Dude, the rest of this offense is below average in every single position. Robinson is the only guy clearly above average at his position, and I feel like half the fans want to run him out of town because he wants to be adequately, you know, fairly paid for his talent. Uh, I thought Robinson had a pretty damn good game today. He ends with six catches, 87 yards, uh, scored a touchdown. So I thought Robinson was was good, and uh, good. I just don't see a scenario in which the Bears are better without Allen Robinson. Oh, no, no, no. I, I think the Bears are stupid if they get rid of him. I think that the likelihood is that they franchise him this offseason if they can't find a number that works for them. But, like, how can you evaluate the wide receiver core? There's no the, – between play calling, quarterback play, and offensive line play, like, how 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 can you even evaluate their play? I think – they're in a position where they can never, ever, ever, ever make a mistake because if they do, like the opportunities come to them so infrequently. Uh, and again, we attributed a lot of that to Mitch, but now we understand it to be a lot more of a comprehensive issue. I would say to answer your question more directly, I think that um, Darnell Mooney is showing himself to be uh, uh, an interesting. He's a guy for sure. An, yeah, he's an interesting player, and he's got some dynamic action to his game. What would it be like if he could get? you know, um, uh, passes thrown to him a little bit more frequently in the right place. I still think that Nagy misuses these smaller guys in the way that he misused um, Turbo Taylor. You know, it was like, why is why is Taylor, why was Taylor getting the bulk of the throws downfield, especially on in-breaking routes? Like, this small-bodied dude would get knocked off his route and there'd be a pick, like, left, right, and center. It's like, why, why are you throwing it to that guy? But I think all of this is really... Um, I don't know. We're just shuffling deck chairs in the Titanic. If you don't have an offensive line that can pass block. And I think you really hit on something uh, like a good point, which is the bears seemingly developed this offensive line with pass blocking in mind because Nagy runs a pass oriented offense. It was about, you know, allowing Mitch to run an RPO kind of offense and, you know, quick throws and being able to get the ball out into space and let guys go. And so you don't need these like road graders out there. You needed guys that can hold up in, in pass uh, protection and then let them play their fast break basketball. And it just never came to fruition. And now it's a, pl- a point where not only are, can you look at the decisions they made, just go back to like this off season. They're like, all right, Kyle long had to retire from injury and they'd really been counting on him. And so they sign a guy off the street on a veteran minimum to go from tackle a failed first round pick at tackle and plug him in at guard and go, yep, you know, solved that one. We got that problem solved. Now we'll let him have a, a, a training camp competition with Richard coward, a converted D lineman who I think we can all say is really struggling with the details of the game at this point. It's like, if that's your solution for the starters, then what does that even say about the depth of your unit? That this should be a draft and develop operation where you can sustain a few injuries uh, and still run, you know, a quality NFL offense. So, you know, it's not their fault that they've incurred all these injuries, especially in such short order. I think that would tear up any team. But, you know, look at the successful teams across the league. 
be it the Ravens, they've lost, I think, three offensive linemen now. The Chiefs were down four starters. Even the Raiders, who a lot of people say have the best offensive line in the league, they you know they can't win for losing with their offensive line. They had uh, Trent Brown was supposed to come back today, but the IV he got pregame had an air bubble in it. He had to be rushed to the hospital so he couldn't play post-COVID. I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. And yet still they find a way to get the, get the thing done. So... I don't know. I kind of left in a dispirited place with the Bears uh, offense only because not only are they inept with their starting unit, but now they're down to like, you know, deep on the depth chart. It's like, what is it that we're going to be able to hope for going into these next few weeks? For sure. I think like the biggest thing is that the ceiling on the offense is just really low. Like I thought Miller actually played one of his better games as a bear. I think in general, Mm -hmm. he's been really disappointing. I believe he entered this game with 189 yards receiving in the first seven games, which is just absolutely not good enough for your wide receiver number two, uh, which is, you know, goes back to my point of saying, I think Robinson's the only actual above average player on the offense in terms of the starting unit. Uh, Montgomery, you say he's below average for, I mean, or just average. Are you, there's definitely 15 running backs better than Montgomery. Like no doubt. Yeah, I, I think Montgomery's. I just don't think he's anything special. I think he's okay. I, I don't think he's like the root of the problem. Of course, I do wonder I what it would be that, like to see him in like an effective NFL offense. I do. Yeah, totally fair. And you know, these are things that can be reasonably argued either way, right? Right. Uh, but the offensive ceiling for this team is just so low, man, and it's it's frustrating. I, I do think that it's a little bit higher with Foles, no doubt, because sometimes Foles is Foles makes you believe in the hot hand theory to me where like he actually can uh string some together when he's like feeling it a little bit but uh he's also gonna make the same bad throws we've seen every bad bears quarterback of our lifetime make bad throws and it it's just like not a good enough offensive team at every single level from coaching obviously the offensive line is terrible i don't think they have enough playmakers they don't have a good enough quarterback the offense is just bad uh but it's sort of in this position now where watching the game, you texted me, we're texting watching this game, and you're like, you know, need an Eddie Jackson pick six here. I think this was an overtime when you sent that text to me. Dude, Eddie mm-hmm. Jackson, like, made the play on the ball and almost had it almost. on a breeze, like, comebacker route. I don't think Jackson, like, necessarily dropped the interception on that one. He, like, made a tough play to break it up. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, the the intended target for the Saints actually helped, like, break up the interception a little bit, mm-hmm. too. Uh, but we're in a position with this team where it's like you need the defense to get turnovers and points in the defense while it is very good. Uh, they're not a playmaker. I don't, yeah, they're not like the old 06 Bears, the Lovey nope. Bears, where they nope. were just forcing turnovers constantly and they always had the threat to score the ball. Uh, that's not happening anymore. I think that, you know, the best hope for this team is if they can actually win the remaining games on the schedule that are winnable. And we could go through it again if we want to. I think we did last week. But there's a very easy path to 10-6 and six for this Bears team, even though me and you, I think, both agree, like, they're just not a particularly good team. I would still like to see them make mm-hmm. the playoffs. If they can get to 10-6, and six, I mean, shit, man. I haven't seen many Bears playoff games in my lifetime, so let's do a playoff game. And if that happens, if they get into the playoffs, their only hope of actually like winning a playoff game is going to be like two Khalil Mack strip sacks, right? Like This team needs dynamic plays, scoring plays out of the defense because the offensive ceiling for the team is just really low. And I think, you know, when you talk about the 2006 team, the other part was the dynamic special teams. It's Robbie Gold and Devin Hester, and the Bears have really bad special teams. Can we? Well, the kicker looks better, and they finally found a punt returner who can field a punt. 
Yeah, so those things are good. Dwayne Harris off the street is just like balls of steel to stand in there and never call a fair catch and just be able to catch and run. But I mean, Cordero Patterson is nicked up right now, and the Bears had you know made a decision because their offense was so inept to let him run back every single one that he can catch out of the end zone. Can that be over now? Because I think the Bears had drives that started at the 10, the 15, and the 17-yard line in this game. So the special teams, whether it be because of the blocking, say, you know, say what you will about the actual returners. The Bears clearly have a kicker now, and I think you and I can both agree on that. And I think, uh, you know, any impartial, objective observer would say, yeah, Cairo Santos is a quality NFL kicker at this point if he can kind of keep up what he's doing here. Um, Dwayne Harris, sure. Again, you're talking about a street-free agent that came in and, and, you know, fielded punts, which I really appreciate given what Ted Ginn was doing. Ted Ginn, one-year deal, bust. He really doesn't have a place in this offense whatsoever, especially with the emergence of uh, Darnell Mooney. He's kind of like feels like a guy that needs to be uh, cut soon or just held on to inactive for depth or what have you. So the Bears are in a tough spot because they can't salt away time for wins because they don't have a running game. They can't count on the defense and special teams because they don't have special teams to make dynamic plays. And, like, dude, Roquan almost had a pick six in overtime as well. Uh, there was that one play where he, you know, undercut a route. Uh, you just saw it possible. Like, the Bears, for whatever reason, have been able to, you know, make a lot of game-changing plays on defense this year. Eddie's had two touchdowns taken away, was able to get one last week in garbage time. But, like, those are critical, critical plays for this thing. And so rather than say, oh, the Bears, like, it's this one thing and they can't get it right, it just feels like there's enough things that can go wrong uh, given the way the team is constructed and the way that they play that like if one of them goes down then the formula is not going to be enough to come out on top and I feel like that's where we're at right now which is you know say for some miracle wins early on the season that likely would have been L's had every single thing in the world not gone right they're in a position now where it's going to be super close every week and man like so many things have to go right in order for them to come out with a victory, especially against teams like the Saints, uh, the Rams, and upcoming the Titans, who figure to be in the playoff mix. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the big picture view on this team. If you zoom out a little further and you want the big picture view on this era, I like the Nagy era, I, and this mm. is third season, I view this as like, you know, I think we said last week that they were in sort of a three-year window just with the contract structure for the team. And right. I view this as a bell curve that is on the way down and that just doesn't really have a lot of upward mobility. And that's what's sort of really frustrating about this team because they're not really like building anything for the future. I think that me and you both believe that there probably needs to be a new coach and that ah, Ryan Pace probably doesn't deserve to hire the next coach. I don't think yeah. that Pace is like terrible. I think that a lot of fans in Chicago think that he's like one of the worst GMs in the league, which I don't think he is. I think he's, it's been a mixed bag, right? Like he's done some good things and then he made one gigantic franchise altering mistake with Mitch. Uh, and he's made some other mistakes, no doubt. But I think, you know, he's done some good things. He's done some bad things. At the end of the day, though, he probably doesn't deserve to hire another head coach. But here's the thing. Bears likely, I don't, I shouldn't say likely. It's possible they make the playoffs. They have a strong chance to make the playoffs, given the remaining schedule. In like, Nagy's not going to get fired if they make the playoffs in two of his three years, right? But it just doesn't really feel like they're building up towards anything. It feels like they're kind of just like on the way down of this era. Hanging and, on for dear life yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah I would agree. And that's why, uh, to me... Even though the team's record was at 1.5-1, and 1, and even though most of the games have been close, and even though they have some very strange resilience, 
offensively and defensively too that I haven't really seen in previous Bears teams. Again, down 10 with 10 minutes left, force overtime. All right, that's good. Uh, It's just not a fun team to watch at all. Like there's not a lot of hope and the games have to be necessarily ugly. So you're kind of just like watching the game with clenched jaw and clenched butts. And it's just like not an enjoyable viewing experience in any way. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that's pretty much it. I mean, if you when it breaks down uh, during a game and it does, it ceases to look like a professional football team. So like the the floor is so low on this team and the ceiling isn't so, you know, isn't very high. Yeah. So when it's going good, that's great. But you just know that there's going to be a moment in time during this game where. Uh, some real mistakes, whether it be not getting the play in to not getting it blocked up to not being able to hit a deep shot that's open like the that the the details as Negi continually harps on as though it's not him that's responsible for it on this team are, are really a problem. And it just feels like given the comprehensive nature of those failures, that it's not just about coaching up one aspect of the team and kind of having things fall in place. But, man, we need to fix things a through z and we've got you know three days to do it before the next week's install happens i want to transition to the rest of the schedule and what happens going forward here but real quick before i do and we talk about david montgomery aka mids which is what his name is from now on uh he leads the league in broken tackles okay and so I, i will say that easy to do when it's almost like a guy who's got a lot of rebounds when dudes are throwing up bricks all the time <laughs> easy to have an opportunity to break tackles when you have three guys running at you free on every play and that's a that. nice stat though dude like i wouldn't have guessed that and that was the book on him coming out of iowa state is that he was very good at breaking tackles and my eye test would not have said that david montgomery leads the nfl in broken tackles he's definitely had a few like noticeable ones like we said on the draw play today on third down he had a great run I thought he played very well today, for sure. I thought this was one of the better games of his Bears career and probably the best game of the season. Uh, but that's a nice stat. So maybe you're trying to sway me the other way here. Hey, somebody's in to buy some mids. I got some. <laughs> uh, okay, so the rest of the schedule. So next week, uh, Sunday morning game, standard standard time against the Titans in Tennessee. I think given that Tennessee has struggled, and I think they've lost two straight. Yeah. Uh, they lost again today to a uh, – wasn't a winless Bengals team. I think it was their second victory. But, uh, yeah, they, they couldn't get it done. So you figure they have a ton of motivation to come back. They're playing at home for whatever that's worth. I think they're allowing some fans in the stadium. I've got the Bears marked down for an L, and I know that the early line was like 5.5 points favoring the Titans. So given what we're seeing, the injuries that are the Bears are dealing with, I'm calling that an L. You? Absolutely an L. How do they stop Derrick Henry, man? Like, this defense is oh good, God. but they're not, like, gonna. they're not a great run-stopping defense by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, Henry, to me, seems like the exact type of running back that's going to give him problems, which is just like a straight-ahead power back who's able to take tacklers with him. So it, uh, It's going to have to be Danny Trevathan's game. It's time to earn the contract because if he's not able to cover guys, you know, running around the field and having to be taken off because he can't, you know, he's not very good in coverage, then it's about being like a big physical player in the box and being able to stop a running back like Derrick Henry. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. They're in, I thought the Bears tackling today, I think I mentioned this earlier, the Bears tackling was pretty good today. Even Kyle Fuller had some good, I mean, Kyle Fuller is awesome. He's awesome. Uh, he had some good tackles. Another bullshit penalty called against Fuller today, too, by the way. It's like we get one every single game. Uh, but absolutely, they're going to need to be physical defensively to stop Henry. I think they for sure lose that game, and I would definitely take the Titans even laying the five and a half. 
Okay, so that's a lock L. That would put the Bears at five and four. And then they get into uh, the divisional uh, work. So then it is, let's see, 11-16. Is that a Monday nighter against the Vikings? Monday night against the Vikings. The Vikings beat the Packers today. A shocking Vikings victory. Kirk Cousins goes 11-14 of for 160 yards in the game. Uh, and they win. Dalvin Cook goes nuts, rushes for 163 yards. I did Terrifying. not see this game or the highlights because I was uh, coming back from Iowa. But the Vikings are a terrible team. That This win made them 2-5 and five on the year. Obviously, Cook is a very, very good player, one of the top running backs in the league. So the Bears' run defense is going to be tested again. But you got to beat the Vikings twice this year if you're going to make the playoffs, if you're going to get to 10 wins. Nagy, I do not believe, has ever lost to the Vikings. So I'm going to say a win for this Vikings game, and it has to be a win. Monday night home game, like... Got to win this game, Bears. That's going to be especially off of three, three, you know, perspective three straight losses, given what we've predicted for the Titans. So, a critical win for the Bears. Kirk Cousins at night on the road, but like no fans. I don't know how that factors in. When who knows what the weather will be on November sixteenth in Chicago. (laughs) Also, potential for an American Civil War. We may have you know uh, battles in the streets. So I don't know how that figures into how the Bears can attack uh, the Vikings. I'm sure that figures in in some way or another. So we'll call that a W. Uh, I'm kind of with you that uh, given the way this schedule is falling out and the way things look, we'll call that a W. So then that puts the Bears at 6-5 and five right. going into Lambeau Field on November 29th, which is a Sunday night six football and four. game. It would put them at 6-4. and four, right? Did I say 6-5? and five? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. So – Six and four, they'd be five and four next week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so six and four, six and four going into Lambeau, Sunday night football. Aaron Rodgers, I've got a gigantic capital L printed on the forehead of that game. How about you? L next, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> six and five going to play the Lions, who feel as though they beat the Bears early on this season and gave one away late, which is a pretty accurate way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, that'll be in Chicago outdoors. I they lost by 20 to the Colts today, by the way. And so the Lions were actually 500 coming into this game. But I still think they suck. Like they won the last game uh, because Todd Gurley couldn't stop himself from going down on the one yard line. Oh, my God. And that gave Stafford enough time to engineer a game winning drive. A really good drive. Game winning drive. Yeah, no doubt. I, for me, it's a coin flip game, like a true coin flip. I, I, I could I could see the Bears losing it. I could see them winning it. And so let's say these other games that that come pri- you know before it play out in the way we've said, that sort of becomes the critical linchpin game for the Bears to make the playoffs this season is to beat the Lions at home. And for that to be, you know, where they're at is is sort of like a rough report. But let's say let's say for the sake of homeristic optimism, what do you say? You got to they win that they win that game and that puts them at seven and five. Help my math. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I think that would be right. So yeah, you got to win. They're five and three right now. Lose to Tennessee five and four beat Minnesota six and four lose to green Bay six and five beat Detroit seven and five. And then you got, we're going to call this the lovey Smith fourth quarter last four games of the year home against the Texans. The Texans already fired their coach. Everything about this Texan season has been cursed from the beginning. You got to win that game. Mm-hmm. So that would get them to eight and five. Correct. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not on the, the, the win train on that one. I really, oh, you think they lose that. Game. I think that's an L I think it's a Deshaun Watson revenge for not drafting me game. I think their offense beats our offense and they outscore the bears. Uh, they're one in six, dude. I feel like I, that's a must win game. I, I understand. I, I, I'm with you. Uh, their I only win is against Jacksonville. 
I I know. I know, and I know that they like they you know they lost to Minnesota, and that's the one that got uh, Bill O'Brien fired. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just know that their offense can score points. It's been their defense that's been the biggest issue this season. Yeah, and the Bears can't capitalize on bad defenses right. enough to to make them pay. So you know, call me an idiot, say like, man, you know, that's one of the worst teams in the NFL, and look at their record. I agree with all of that, and then I see Deshaun Watson winner. Um, and, and his ability to put up points in a hurry and, you know, find pride and a reason to play in a season that's more or less lost and the bears having injuries and everything else that's been going on. I don't know why I feel this way so strongly given that it's five weeks out and a million things are going to happen between now and then, but that's an L for me. That would be, so, you know, we're talking about that Detroit game in week 13 being a must win Mm -hmm. or like season defining Mm -hmm. game. Yeah, I mean, Houston, you got to win that game. And then what I was going to say is the other season-defining game comes next, Week 15 at Minnesota. So the Bears mm-hmm. got to sweep Minnesota and Detroit, I think, to make the playoffs this year. That doesn't feel realistic, does it? Uh, but I'm counting two L's to the Packers in this, too. So, like, it's right. possible they could the steal Packers a game against beatable. the Packers. We've seen, we've they're seen beatable. The, yeah, they're the, beatable. The Packers have two losses. I, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not going to put my money on that. But, like, it is possible that the Bears find a way – to win one of these Packers games. So let's say, okay, let's do it this way. There's still two Vikings games, one Lions game, and two Packers games, right? Yeah. And we sort of see the Packers as, whether it's 2-0 and or 1-1, and and whether you see the Vikings games to come as 2-0 and or 1-1, and like, let's kind of, like, split the difference there and say it's... Uh, you got to go 3-2 and two in those games, basically. Yeah, you... Yes, that's that's pretty much it. So if they get three wins out of that, that puts them to eight, and then they need to win one, either the, against the Texans or Jaguars to get to nine, and then hope that that's enough to get in. I, I think given the competition going on in the NFC West, you need to get to ten wins. Yo, you need to get to ten wins for sure, and I think they have a path to get to ten wins because I would say those wins are going to be against two against Minnesota, one more against Detroit, beat Houston, beat Jacksonville. There's your five wins. <sighs> Uh, this is getting dicey. But that's with two Green Bay losses. That's with a loss to Tennessee. So, yeah, dude, I mean, we're going to be right in this. And it also could be very possible that Week 17, home against Green Bay, currently slated to be a noon game, that that really determines if the Bears are in or out. And we have seen this exact game play uh, out before. That's the thing. That's the We've thing. Seen if, it, we get, if we get to the last game of the regular season and it's a chance to knock the Bears out of the playoffs, Aaron Rodgers is going to slam the fucking door on us. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think that what I've learned about this Bears team is not to totally write them out because I do think they are a little bit resilient in ways that previous Bears teams haven't been offensively. You're probably right. Now, it might just be fucking bullshit and luck. No, too, you no know? Like, you're probably you count, right. I'm probably being too too pessimistic. Can you count it. on it every week? I don't know. But, like, they do seem to, like, scratch and claw their way back into games with the exception of the Rams game. And the Rams lost today. I think the Rams look terrible today so against Tua. Doesn't that bother you? Doesn't that bother you? that like the Colts have like the best defense in the NFL, you know, when they play the bears and give up like three points until garbage time. And then they play like the Browns next week and give up like 35 points. And then they smoked the lions today though. So it's like, true. Maybe none of these teams are that good. That's sort of been my takeaway in NFL football for like the last six years. Basically it's just like, there's a lot of parody parody. in the league and there's so many injuries league wide. So like the team that you start the season with is absolutely never the team that you're going to end the season with. And there's not a ton 
of you know a ton of differentiating a good team from a middling team from a bad team. So does that mean that the Detroit Lions at three and four are as good a football team as the five and three Chicago Bears? I don't think that there is a lot separating those two teams. Like, I don't think the Bears are a lot better than the Lions. But I also think, like, the Lions had the Bears beat, like you said, and the Bears won that game. So now the Bears need to win this next game against the Lions. And it's like, uh, the Lions fans having their podcast, I'm sure, are going to say the same thing. Like, we, we're we just going to blow this because it's the Lions. And we're like, well, we right. think we're going to blow it because it's the Bears. <laughs> so it's like there's this deeply ingrained pain within all of these Yeah, we've been hurt bases. too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, would, I will say this. Given what we just you know talked about with the schedule and what's to come, the Bears need to win one of their next two games to keep their playoff hopes alive. And I understand there's a lot, a lot of playoff or a lot of football still to come. But if they can't – if they come out of – the next two weeks against at the Titans and at home against the Vikings with a record of five and five with what's to come. I think it's going to be a lot harder for them to find their way into the playoffs. And again, a lot of that's predicated on the success of other playoff hopeful teams, given that the bears are likely going for a wild card, uh, given that the Packers are going to win the NFC North, given what we're seeing so far. I've said given like nine times in the last sentence. I don't know why um, I, it feels like, in terms of writing the ship, in terms of making sure guys stay on point, in terms of finding a way forward, if they lose to the Titans, then it's a desperation game at home, Monday night against the Vikings, more or less to save their season. And it feels crazy to say that given that, you know, it's November 1st. It's the beginning of November, but that's kind of what the Bears have set themselves up for given the the losses against the Rams and Saints and the way in which those games happened. Yeah, not a lot of margin for error, my man, but they've put themselves in a position where they have a very good chance at the playoffs. Uh, I don't think they're a good team, even if they make the playoffs, but I do think they have a very winnable path to five more victories this year. Will they get there? You know, we'll see, dude. But uh, I think we're going to be invested in the team the rest of the year, which is awesome. It's not like we're only looking ahead to the draft at this point in the season. Like, I want to see a Bears playoff game this year. So let's get those five wins, dude. Like, there's an winnable, there's an easy path or a manageable path to getting those five more victories that the Bears need to get to 10 wins. I think if you get to 10 wins, you're making the playoffs this year. I agree. I agree. So, okay, we'll do this before we go. The Bears win next week at Tennessee. How did they do it? Okay, so the Bears win next week at Tennessee. One, I think you got to stop the run. You can't let Henry go off for like 200 yards, which he is highly capable of doing. You need to have him like you're not you're probably not going to hold him under 100, but you can't let him have one of his like flat out superstar performances. So I think limiting him at least a little bit in the run game, not letting him win the game for Tennessee is going to be the first thing. Uh, The second thing I'm going to say, you need some big plays defensively, whether that's, you know, a couple key takeaways to get your offense, good field position, whether it's a defensive score, I think you need some very good, uh, like some big time plays from, from the defense. And then third, I'm going to say is uh, I'm going to say that you need one of the receivers to have a big game. So whoever that is, like, I don't think that you can expect, like, all these guys to have great games at this point. Uh, but, like, s- some pass-catching option has to step up, whether that's Jimmy Graham with two red zone touchdowns or Allen Robinson going over 100 yards. Maybe Miller can build off some positive momentum from this game. You need one of the playmakers to step up. So those are my three three ways they could win. So I'm just looking at the Tennessee Titans-Cincinnati Bengals box score right now to see what I can glean from their performance today, their loss to the you know previously one five and one Cincinnati Bengals, 
The Tennessee Titans ran 29 times for 218 yards. That's a 7.5 average today. Derrick Henry, 18 for 112 with a 6, 6.2 average. Jeremy McNichols, a human being I never knew existed until three seconds ago, uh, ran four for 49. That's a 12.3 average. Dante Foreman, who's a, a failed draft pick from the Texans off the street, five for 37. And Tannehill, for good luck, two for 20 in scrambles. Uh, that's an incredible rushing performance. Tannehill, no great shakes uh, throwing the ball 18 to 30 for 233. And then on the other side of the football, you can tell that the Tennessee Titans really struggle to get uh, pressure on the quarterback. So uh, a, I think the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is right up there with the, with the Bears for the worst in the league. Joe Burrow looks like an incredible uh, draft pick, but he's getting lit up week in, week out. He was sacked zero times today by the Tennessee defense. They had one tackle for loss. They only had two quarterback hits the whole day. So that's a huge issue for them. They cannot get pressure on the quarterback. Burrow goes 26 of 37 for 250. And the way he did it, there weren't like deep shots. It wasn't going to be shot plays. It was much more matriculating the ball down the field on long drives. T. Higgins, 6 for 78. Tyler Boyd, 6 for 67. Auden Tate, 7 for 65. So these are about sustained drives and picking up chunks of yardage with a defense that's playing like a cover two or cover six kind of shell, right? It can the Bears sustain drives? Can they complete third downs? Can they score touchdowns in the red zone? That's the path to the, to winning this game. It's going to come down as it has all year, and it does for most NFL football games. So it feels a little bit like a, like a cop out cliche. But if the Bears can get over fifty percent on third down, if they can score in the red zone more often than not, I think they win that football game. It's just a matter of if they can do that. I think that that's probably a better breakdown than what I provided for the listeners. So, yeah, I mean, sustaining drives has been a challenge for the Bears throughout the season. It's been a challenge for the Bears uh, permanently in perpetuity. So that would be huge if they can actually pick up some first downs on third down, uh, get some conversions, sustain some drives. It's a lot easier with a running game. And maybe David Montgomery found something, you know, and maybe uh, in their current setup of their offensive line, which is apparently going to like totally whiff on some pass blocking opportunities. I don't mm. know. Maybe they're a little bit better in the run game. I have no idea. I'm not going to be able to, you know, give you a scouting report on the backup offensive lineman on the team, but you don't know Jason Spriggs, his entire history I, and where he went to school. I, I have no fucking idea. I saw no Cam idea. Jordan hit him with a swim move. That was like Reggie <laughs> white. Like today, it you know like broke I mean? his brain. Spriggs like stood there and didn't move after it happened. Like it, it like it, honestly, it was like a Jedi mind trick of you will stand still now. And he did. So yeah, dude, it's going to be, I think the formula for the bears to win the rest of the year is like to make it an ugly game, right? Like, it's unlikely they're going to be able to win a shootout. Obviously, it's the Bears. So you're just going to have to make it a grimy, ugly game. Control the clock. Uh, you know, these things are a lot easier with a reliable running game, which they haven't had to this point. Perhaps that can start to develop in the second half of the season. I do think it's worth noting that, like, all these teams had sort of truncated training camps and no preseason. So mm -hmm. uh, the overreaction to the or the reactions to the first half of the season uh, it's still sort of tough to tell what a lot of these teams are. And I think like it, throughout the second half of the season, that will come into a clearer focus. Uh, but I, I do feel strongly that the Bears formula for winning is to just make it ugly. Yeah, it, like I think you said multiple times in this podcast, they're going to be in games. It's unlikely they'll be in a game where they're totally out of it, given the quality of their defense, 
sort of the way that they play overall. So it's more likely than not that it's a one possession or a two possession game against the Titans and whether or not they're able to make the few plays that make the difference. The reason we get so frustrated and there are those singular plays that seem to make the difference in the game. Part of that is because the bears are in games. They're not getting blown out. They don't have these weeks where they lose by three touchdowns. Uh, and that says a lot about the resilience of the team, the quality of the de- defensive side of the football. Um, and, and really it's going to come down to that same kind of thing against the Titans who are going to be desperate for victory. It's can they limit the run game and put Tannehill in a position where he has to uh, complete third down throws? Can, are the bears healthy enough to get pressure on him and to make him throw the ball uh, into, you know, challenging places? Can the bears run the football or if not run the football, complete passes and sustain drives against a Tennessee defense that's been compromised all year long. Um, and can they score in the red zone? Can they get touchdowns instead of field goals? I like Cairo Santos or Carlos. If you're Troy Aikman or John Fox, whatever, however you want to refer to the guy, I like him as much as anybody, but he needs to be kicking for one, not three for the bears to win this game. Yeah. Well said, dude. All right. Well, shit. Uh, this has been negative Zach and positive Ricky for the second week in a row. I always feel like I need to like either apologize for or kind of justify uh, the, the sense of pessimism that I have against the football team. It's just that uh, five and three feels like such good fortune that to piss it away at this point uh, and not find a way to win a couple football games to stay on that pl- playoff track would be really disappointing. All that said, uh, I would love to come back next week. Love this team to get a little bit healthier, especially with Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, totally a ghost today and start to get some pressure on the football again or on the quarterback again. And I think the bears might be in a winning position as it is tough one today in overtime 26 to 23 in the psychedelic acid game of the year at soldier field with 35 mile an hour wins. What can we take away from it? Mm, Sort of like more of the same. And also uh, I don't know what trends you can really point to that are that are going to be important going forward. So how's that for analysis? Ricky, thank you for coming on, my man. I really appreciate you. Glad you're back from Iowa safely. And uh, let's do it again next week. Go Bears. Go Bears. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.